It's the intersection of politics and economics. The difference. Wall Street, K Street, J Street, Main Street, your street, all of them intersect to impact your bottom line. And I'm Dan O'Donnell here to explain how alongside the president and CEO of Annex Wealth Management, Dave Spano. And this week, Dave, the the story really is the GDP report, 3.8%, a lot stronger than most people expected. Yeah, it really is. 3.8% is a big number. We all know that the definition of a recession is two back-to-back quarters of negative GDP, 3.8% obviously is not that. So far from a recession at the moment, the consumer has certainly been resilient. You know, and there's probably many reasons for that, Dan. One of them, you'll remember, was this nearly 9% increase in Social Security payments. That money is now turned into spendable revenue. But on the other side, you've got the Fed, who've raised raise 5.5% over just over a year's time. That will have a lag in effect. And we're going to look at, you know, higher for longer. What will happen? They're going to meet again in a couple of weeks, Dan, and we'll see what they say. We think that they're going to sit on the sideline in this next meeting. But so much going on right now. And as, if it does slow down as we head into the end of 23 and early 24, this will be the conversation du jour in the political environment because economics is at the top of the list for most voters. Yeah, it, it really is. But right now it almost seems as though... It's not even close to one of the top issues. I mean, nothing and nobody can get any political oxygen as either a candidate or an issue with the Trump show. Exactly. I mean, the reality is our politics is dominated by Donald Trump, for better or for worse. And I think right now the calculated risk for Democrats is that all of the focus on Donald Trump, and even if it takes the focus away from what Democrats are claiming is a very strong economy under Joe Biden, I think Republicans would say, yes, but... Um, but all of this focus on Trump ensures that no one's really paying attention to the GDP or inflation or real wages or anything like that. Well, you have to pay attention to it. You know, we see that the average person is paying between eight and nine hundred dollars more per month, my friend. That is incredible. And of course, that has to get your attention when you go to the grocery store, when you go to fill up your vehicles, when you, you know, when you heat your home and so on and so forth. So that is has to be part of the conversation. You look at what, you know, both sides, there was a report, I think it was in the Wall Street Journal this weekend that talked about what topics are important. On the Republican side, economics were certainly at the top of the table. On the Democrat side, they were talking about LBGT rights and other issues, clean energy and the like. So it really is what you're interested in and what's important to you. But we're going to have to pay attention to this. And you think about what's happening. You know, since post-COVID, there's been a transformation and on the framework between U.S. monetary policy fiscal policy, foreign policy, all of that has been the conversation. And now the U.S. interest rate, because of all of the debt that's been put out there, now consumes 14% of our tax revenue. That's something that we haven't seen in nearly 30 years. That has to be part of the conversation. Interest on the debt at $32 trillion is going to be right in the middle of the conversation. So where does the money go? Where are we going to spend that tax dollars? Right now, you look at what's doing well, comes from Biden's fiscal policy victories, infrastructure spending, clean energy and chips. Those sectors are doing better. So elections have consequences. Yeah, they certainly do. And this election 
really does seem like it's going to come down to whether or not the focus is on the economy, because I think you and I are both kind of in agreement. Uh, I saw a stat that with home prices just going up faster than I think a lot of us in our in our lifetimes have seen, combined with the interest rates, means homes are more unaffordable now than they have been almost at any point in our history in terms of average income versus average cost to own a house. I think something's got to give. And I think the last time that we sort of saw the warning lights flashing like this was the Great Recession of 2008. Now, I'm not suggesting that there's going to be anything even approaching that. But I think you and I are both in agreement that there's going to almost certainly be some sort of economic slowdown in 2024, probably in the first quarter, maybe in the second quarter. I know every policymaker in the world is going to try to keep the recession as early as possible so it doesn't essentially all but deliver the 2024 election to Trump and the Republicans, assuming, of course, Trump is the nominee. And there are a whole lot of variables with respect to that. Right. But with all of this sort of as a backdrop, I mean, it's no wonder isn't it? That that people are sort of feeling acutely about the economy, what the data might not suggest. But, you know, we, we have a tendency, Dave, to focus on investments, right? To focus on retirement and, mm -hmm. and to focus on tangible assets. When the overwhelming majority of people in this country, even those, and this shocked me, even those making $100,000 or more a year are still living paycheck to paycheck. Now, that suggests that they are way more impacted by the dramatic rise in cost of necessities than we might think. So with that as sort of a backdrop, is it any real surprise that people feel like that? People have voted their checkbooks for as long as I can remember. So I do think that that's going to happen. That's going to be part of the conversation. And, you know, Congress may probably step in. I mean, there is a possibility of a stimulus deal next year. I know the Republicans, of course, have the checkbook right now, and we'll have to see what comes out of that. You know, when does that happen? Does it happen post-election? You know, but right now, what's the Fed going to do? Are they going to keep rates higher for longer? Because those higher rates go into what the bank, of course, pays. That goes, of course, into what mortgage rates are. So you talked about housing prices. Even if people wanted to move, they don't want to replace their 2 or 3% mortgage with a current 7.5% interest rate. And so there's that, too, even though there's a lack of supply, as you pointed out, which is causing prices to go up. But then there's higher interest rates, and people may not want to pay the higher rate. Do I think that that's going to cause a housing crisis? Not at the moment, but there certainly could be a debt issue. And debt issues have been around and causes of problems, and the Federal Reserve, for a hundred years, go all the way back to the 1929 crash, that was because people could borrow against their money at 80 or percent. I mean, that was a debt crisis. You talked about 2008, 2009, the great financial crisis. That was a debt crisis. The debt crisis that is brewing right now is the $32 trillion that is out there. And by the way, the spending is just ramping up. The impact of that is going to continue to grow until 2027, Dan. So I'm telling you another four years that that debt is set to expand between chip spending, between what's happening with the infrastructure bill and so on. So more debt is coming. And unless there is a problem, right, they're not going to address it. But how you fix it is look for the term called austerity, perhaps coming up in 2024. 
You don't think there would be austerity measures in an election year, do you? There would be the conversations. People are going to start to throw that out there to say that we have to talk. About, no, do I think it's going to happen? No, not before the election. But the conversation will probably start and say, you know, if I'm elected, this is what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to address some of the debt. Now, let's be fair. Both Republicans and Democrats have been spending like drunken sailors for a long mm-hmm. time, right? So this is not as much as a one-party issue as the other. It is the fact that it's free money to them, and they can write big checks and, and leave this debt, you know, and, and the interest rate on top of that. So all of this spending has spiked interest rates, and if they the Fed keeps it higher for longer, and that's the reason why I keep talking about this, if the Fed keeps rates higher for longer, that interest rate on this debt continues to consume the tax revenues, therefore means you can't spend it in other parts of the economy. No, and that's why we have all of this uncertainty, to be totally honest with you, because what the Fed does is sort of baked into the equation with political uncertainty at home, uh, all sorts of uncertainty abroad. In case you haven't noticed, there's still a hot war going on between Ukraine and Russia. There's something of a cold war between the United States and China, which is also facing its own economic issues. And by the way, don't, don't forget about North Korea and Russia getting right. very, very cozy right now. So, you know, because they're seeing what they did with Ukraine, and so the North Koreans are watching to see what they're going to do with Taiwan. All of this is starting to come together. Yeah, and all of this means that you need to know more now than ever, perhaps, what you own, why you own it, what you're paying for it, and make sure that you're working with someone who's working with and for you as a fee-only fiduciary. Go to AnnexWealth.com. Get that wealth metric. It's a review of your portfolio. You sit down with somebody. You make sure that you know exactly what is going on in your financial future. That is AnnexWealth.com. Now, there's sort of been a narrative that's taken hold, Dave, over the past, really, summer, I would say, but in a broader sense, a year or so since the passage of the uh, Infrastructure Act, the American, whatever it's called, I I forget, it was Build Back Better and the the, the American Rescue Plan and all of this, Uh, the latest round of massive spending. And that narrative, which really came to a head over Labor Day weekend, when we're sort of focused on issues that that face the working men and women of America, is why isn't Biden getting more credit for what he has done with the nation's economy? Is it that people are too stupid to realize that Biden is great? Is it because they're partisan hacks, they're Republicans who just won't? Uh, except that Biden has succeeded economically, or, and here's my theory about it, is it because the economy is not nearly as great for the people at the lower and middle class levels than it might be for those who hold a significant amount of assets like stocks and real estate? Yeah, and think about that. That's 50% of America who right now are struggling, and and, uh, you, you and I have talked about this for years. When you do all of these things and you raise interest rates and you try to slow down the economy, the bottom 50% feel this far more than those top 20% who have assets that you're talking about. So they are feeling the pressure. And as we talk about, you know, an average American paying $800 to $900 more per month, that is significant part of an income. So yes, that is part of the problem. Number two, you talked about some of these bills. The 
Inflation Reduction Act might be the biggest misnomer of a bill that we have seen in decades or or ever, right? Yeah. The fact that it, it did not reduce uh, the deficit, did not reduce uh, inflation, I meant to say. And you can get that information not only from the Republicans, but from independent economists and Democrats alike who are saying that this does not uh, reduce inflation. In fact, there's a lot of money that went into a lot of their thinking, clean energy and the like. So that has been a misnomer, could be the reason why he's not getting credit, or the fact that, as you said, only the people who are, you know, have assets that are, are invested were participating over the last year. But as this narrative of slowing down continues to accelerate, we'll look for that to be a major part of the conversation. And I do think the economy will might be the biggest part of the conversation as we head into the presidential election. Yeah, I mean, it just you, you can only defy gravity for so long. Right. I mean, we can't have an extended run. And then a mat- you can't have the economy essentially dependent upon zero percent interest rates for a decade and a half, mm-hmm. then dramatically hike interest rates. Oh, well, everything's fine. I also want to touch on, Dave, do you realize that every jobs report since the start of the summer has been revised downward mm-hmm. and has been revised downward significantly? What do you make of that? They're trying to slow it down, obviously. So if they can do that, that is the one thing that I said they're going to have trouble with because raising interest rate is a blunt tool. And how do you tell a manufacturer in somewhere in central Wisconsin or central Illinois or Minnesota or wherever you want to pick and say higher interest rates mean that you can't fill your order and you can't hire a person to do that? That's a blunt object. And so they're going to have to see the economy slow down. And that comes from the jobs report. And the jobs report is a significant part of inflation. So right now we're not seeing the inflation reduction that they would like. So that is going to be part of the conversation as we go forward. And right now, you look at who the winners and the losers are, where the money is flowing. And the last thing I'll leave you with is there has been a significant outflows out of energy. And despite the fact that we saw this week that the Saudis continued to cut. So people are taking money out of energy and putting it into treasuries and cash. That money will come back. Where it goes will mean that you need to be positioned correctly when that money starts to come back. Yeah, and that's why you really do need, we don't just say this for the sake of saying it, you really do need someone to be looking at your portfolio along with you and looking at it as a fee-only fiduciary, not someone who's trying to sell you something, but someone who is as concerned about your financial future as you are. That's why we suggest that free wealth metric, a portfolio review that is available only at AnnexWealth.com. For Dave Spano, he is the president and CEO of Annex Wealth Management. I'm Dan O'Donnell. You've been listening to The Difference. Annex Wealth Management is a registered investment advisor. For more information about our firm, please visit AnnexWealth.com. The information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is subject to change without notice. Opinions expressed are those of the participants and don't necessarily reflect those of Annex Wealth Management, its producers, hosts, or guests. The host of this podcast is compensated for his endorsement of Annex Wealth Management. Information presented should not be considered as tax, legal, or investment advice or recommendation or solicitation for the sale of any product or strategy. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from qualified professionals to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Investments involve risks. Neither Annex Wealth Management nor its podcast participants shall be liable for losses resulting from decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on this podcast.